1: That's BlueNile.com.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Prospect interview, where we meet some of the brightest minds of today and talk about the ideas that matter most in politics, arts, and society. I'm Rebecca Liu, digital editor at Prospect magazine. This week, we talked to the journalist and debut novelist Frances Cha about her stirring new book, If I Had Your Face. Frances worked for several years as a travel and culture reporter for CNN in Seoul, where she reported on South Korea's youth culture, the beauty industry, and its fiercely competitive corporate culture. These themes are all explored, albeit now in fiction, in her new If I Had Your Face, which follows four women living in contemporary Seoul, navigating the everyday pressures of work, love, and family. Frances came over to London all the way back in January, which now, looking back, feels like a whole different universe. During her visit, I talked to Frances about making the leap from journalism to fiction, what Westerners often misunderstand about South Korea, and why her novel is also a tribute to the nation's young women and a gesture of hope. Hello, and welcome back to The Prospect Interview. I'm here with Frances Cha, author of If I Had Your Face, a novel which explores the lives and pressures faced by young women in modern-day South Korea. Frances, how are you doing?
1: Great, thanks so much for having me.
0: This is your first stop in your press tour in London, isn't it?
1: Press tour, yes, completely all around the world. This is my first stop.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. So you previously worked as a culture and travel reporter uh, for CNN in Seoul. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you went from journalism to fiction.
1: Yes, so in college I studied creative writing and that was always the ultimate dream to write fiction one day, but right after school I went to work for CNN and I think that was actually the best thing I could have done for fiction because it gave me so much training in terms of daily deadlines, sometimes hourly deadlines, and you just have to completely be okay with cutting and excising all your babies as we say (laughs) in fiction and that's often the part that fiction writers have the most trouble with because you've labored over a character for so long and you can't just cut but when your editor is doing it right before you every single day multiple times a day then it becomes part of your routine um but that was just very helpful in terms of setting my own deadlines and um, developing a discipline for fiction. Um, But CNN, I was covering travel and culture, and I would routinely come across these people and characters and storylines and um, just occupations that were very different from the West, Mm -hmm. are different from those found in the West, and I would store them away for future fiction writing. And I was constantly, even though I was an insider, I'm Korean, I'm from Korea, and I speak the language in Korea, I had to write about Koreans for the American audience. So every angle, you're analyzing it in a way that uh, is meant to present the context for an outsider who doesn't know anything about Korea Mm -hmm. and that also was very helpful to writing fiction because you're building in uh, context and you're building in character but you also understand from a news perspective what's interesting and different and newsworthy and culturally interesting so every day uh, I was really inundated with a lot of new stuff that I would be so excited about tackling in fiction one day.
0: Mm -hmm. You did mention uh, in our conversation earlier that this is a work that's 10 years in the making.
1: Yes, 10 years (laughs) of my life. Uh, I started it, I would say the first year of grad school. And then in between, I took some time off to work for Samsung Economic Research Institute as the assistant managing editor for their business publication. And it was that, uh, during that time that I really got obsessed with uh, K-pop. Yeah. <laughs> which found its way into the story as well. Um, so everything that I experienced there while I was working there and living there, uh, I tried to contextualize it and um, develop a story.
0: Um, So obviously with your journalistic background, did you feel like you needed to do any additional preparation for the novel or was it all through work that you've done as a reporter? Yes,
1: I did a lot of research specifically for the book once I started the narrative and I knew I needed to get very specific facts straight, um, the characters and details. Um, So one of the characters undergoes a very extreme facial reconstructive surgery, which is somewhat common in Korea. It's when you resect your jawline, they excise a lot of the bone and reconfigure your face so that you look more the word more sl- like a slim V line, the it's Korean, yes, the V, yes, shape, the v shape. That's what i Koreans heard. Yeah. are very obsessed with V shaped jawlines. When mm-hmm. a slimmer face, a smaller face is considered beautiful, yeah, and this is the very extreme way to go about it. And so, I would uh, several times I went to the plastic surgery hospital and posed as a potential. A patient mm-hmm. and did everything from getting all the x rays to having extensive consultations with the clinic managers who are women wow. who've gone through a plastic surgery they Their tagline is, Oh, I've been through every possible surgery. What would you like to know about? Uh-huh. and I can also inform you about surgeries that we don't do here in this hospital, but I can hook you up with another hospital if you need.
0: So that's and incredible. They're kind of yeah. like ads. They're walking themselves. advertisements.
1: Yeah. By the way, apparently jaw surgery does not hurt. Mm. Uh, so they say. And it was the, <laughs> the uh, liposuction and the breast surgeries that hurt the most, um, which was very interesting to know. I would have thought, you know, they're it's the least. <laughs> yes. But there are no nerves inside the bone. Mm-hmm. And so cutting the bone does not hurt.
0: Um, So we're recording this podcast in mid-January, but for now, the movie Parasite has been sweeping film awards across the globe. And it looks at the brutalities of capitalism in South Korea and, you know, kind of tells an upstairs, downstairs tale of class warfare. I think it's gotten many foreigners newly interested in South Korean society and politics. um, But there, this sense of inequality is not new to the country, is it?
1: No, not at all. It's driving most of the politics right now. Um, The two opposing parties are worrying about that specifically. uh, Social mobility between classes has become very difficult and that's the reason why Korea has developed so many global superlatives among the young people especially. What do you mean by that? So one of the articles that I wrote when I was at CNN was what 10 things that South Korea does best. And it highlighted the different global superlatives of the country. And there are some very extreme facts that came out of it. Korea is the most educated country. It has the highest rate of suicide among developed countries. Uh, there's, it's also the world's most alcoholic country. The best-selling liquor in the world was Chilo Soju. Which is all drunk by Koreans within Korea, which is a fact that I feel like most people don't know. Uh, and all of this is intricately connected because there is this competition. The students get stressed, they kill themselves, they go to work. There's also so much competition to get a job that everyone is overworked and then they drink afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that leads to the lowest birth rate in the developed world because people don't can't afford to have children, they can't afford to buy a house and they can't afford to educate them because the private education outside of schools uh, tend to cost so much that everyone goes into debt. So they also had the highest rates of household debt for a long time. Um,
0: And how does this manifest, as you mentioned, in the warring political parties? Are there any attempts to really tackle what's going on?
1: So the current administration is trying to address this inability to uh, move across social classes by, for example, placing very strict restrictions on real estate. And the opposing party is coming at it by saying, oh, this is Communist. They're actually saying this is a communist uh, practice and you can't go about it. We escaped communism. Look what communism did to North Korea. How can you possibly uh, try to implement these policies? And that's coming, you know, every single day there's such a ruckus <laughs> politically. People are Korea has a lot of fist fights in Congress. Oh really? Look it up on YouTube. (laughs) It's quite heated. And the current administration does have a point because and we you see it in Parasite, what the the stark contrast between the haves and the half nots and the absolute inability to move between social classes leads to a lot of despair among the youth, especially high unemployment, the highest suicide rate among developed countries. They're not getting married. So the marriage rate is getting pushed back later. The lowest birth rate in the developed world because it costs so much to educate their children privately outside of school, which is what you need to do in order to get into the best schools. So all of this is intricately intertwined and if you're not born into status and wealth you cannot uh, buy an apartment with your nine-to-five job it's just not possible financially
0: and so yes there's a lot of despair there Mm -hmm. Um, and it is interesting as well because there's so much of this going on in the country um, but you also do see South Korea's soft power a little bit rising with you mentioned k-pop earlier in the podcast you know from my own american background yeah you do see rising collaborations with k-pop stars between american pop stars and this idea that you know south korean culture is very cool (laughs) yes it's been so interesting
1: to see bts you know ringing in the new year in times square on tv you know, being broadcast around the world.
0: And BTS Be- is one of the biggest K-pop boy bands. Yes, so.
1: right. So BTS apparently has the highest engagement um, on social media, which means they have more likes and retweets than Justin Bieber and Donald Trump combined, just to give you a context of mm-hmm. the scale. And the thing about K-pop fans is that they are so passionate. <laughs> I've literally seen lines form around blocks where I've interviewed the people standing in line for a K-pop concert and this was in New York. They were Parisians who had just flown in from Paris to see, to stand in line to see them in New York mm-hmm. and these are not Asians you know. <laughs> it's it's quite remarkable. I'm I'm very intrigued by all of
0: this. And then moving on, of, of course, if I had your face looks not only at South Korean culture in general, but it looks at it through the lens of young women, mostly young women. Um, you have three characters, all doing different jobs from a similar social background. Um, and then one neighbor who is a bit older. Um, tell me a bit about how you approached writing these women and you know, the many different pressures they face one is an artist one works at a room salon which you might have to explain a little bit um, and one is a hairdresser
1: yeah so I when I was young I used to volunteer in the provinces of Korea at an orphanage uh, I was the Holt Orphanage which was the biggest and it is still the biggest I believe in Korea and it it made a huge impression of, on me at the time. And I couldn't stop thinking about these women and where those children would be now, um, now that they were older and they were probably moving to Seoul and trying to make it there, but they would not have any status or money. And so I took people from my real life in Korea, Um, and kind of merged the two and did a lot of research uh, to their backgrounds. And the young women in Korea do face a lot of challenges in terms of the glass ceiling on various levels. A room salon is an underground hostess bar. So the one that I write about is a top room salon, which means the 10%. The 10%. So it's called a 10% because supposedly the 10% most beautiful women are in these salons and they pour you liquor and they sit next to you and they make you feel like a king Mm -hmm. Uh, and they entertain you. So I went to several of these uh, along with my guy friends. My guy friends were not supposed to invite me But they did.
0: You have a bit where a guy invites his female friend and then all his male friends around him start freaking out a little bit.
1: So that was me. (laughs) That was inspired from real life. And when I got there, it was very clear from how everyone was behaving that I was not supposed to be there. And as a writer and as a journalist, it, it was like gold for me. And I didn't want to leave. I refused to take any hints for me to leave. I just stuck it out and tried to stay as long as I could. And to observe all these really fascinating interactions between men and women, between the women themselves, and the way that the men behaved around these women were very different. Um, and it occurred several times, mostly because I was constantly asking my guy friends to take me, and they would mostly refuse. But it's so- not occasionally they one of them would (laughs) and then I would store up a lot more uh, color to write about later on in the in my fiction and it honestly like bothers me so much it's one of the things that I wish would change about Korean society and I think it is changing but not necessarily because everyone's trying to make a change it's more it's an unintended consequence of uh, other factors, but we can get more into that later. Um, so it's unfair honestly, like as an industry, it's very unfair to women.
0: You talk about the debts that this character who works at the room salon and basically owes and cannot pay off to her madam.
1: Right, so as an industry the women kind of become entrapped because they rack up these debts that cannot possibly be repaid. But the interesting thing is society as a whole does not think of them as victims. They think that they have made the choice to go into the industry for easy money, maybe to buy luxury goods or things that they would require uh, more money than they've made through other channels. And that's a very unfair representation of their reality. It's also extremely unfair to women in business because a lot of deals are conducted in these settings of male camaraderie. And there's a very real glass ceiling because women are not welcome at these places. And so the deals are being struck, the relationships are being cemented in a setting where women are not allowed. And lastly, it's completely unfair because a lot of these things a lot of these relationships lead to men cheating on their wives so it's unfair to the wives at home so uh, all across the board it's a, an i think an abhorrent <laughs> industry that really does bother me about uh contemporary korea and it's not discussed at all in the mainstream
0: um and speaking of the 10% salons uh Something I picked up on while reading the novel in general was how, especially if you're a young woman not born to money, how much your beauty is tied to your economic prospects. I mean, you have the older character who's working in marketing, like something that you know, it shouldn't really be predicated on your appearance, but she's she's feeling the pressure to stay a bit thin, to not show her belly. And in the West, the relationship between beauty and economic value is, does exist. It feels a bit more insidious, whereas here it feels a lot more obvious. So
1: beauty is a very real practical currency for these characters. And I I find it very interesting how Asians in Asia are more realistic and honest and practical about it whereas in the west it's kind of disguised especially the attitude towards plastic surgery Mm -hmm. for example in korea it's it can really change your life for the better so and it does not come without a high cost it's excruciating pain that will just make you suicidal almost so it but in the West, there's this idea that you should be happy with how you look. You, everyone should feel valued for how they look, but at the same time, everyone gets braces, for example. And that is something that's kind of euphemistically discussed and and discussed in different ways, uh, whereas Asians are more direct. I, I hate to generalize, but.
0: In, in the book, that's sort of in the, the reality that they yes. live.
1: So these choices to undergo extreme plastic surgery is not a vain or a frivolous choice, but it's more of a practical choice and the only choice to raise yourself from the social class into which you were born because you can't make the money that you need in order to make your life better.
0: And so what happens to the older woman who can't really compete in this realm of extreme youthfulness? Yes, there's definitely this sense
1: that you kind of become almost invisible <laughs> once you have children and once you're married, unfortunately. And I, I think this fact would kind of strike a chord around the world too, but it just happens to be more dramatic in Korea at least Um, and in the workforce there is a staggering disparity between you know male CEOs the number of male CEOs versus female CEOs Korea still has a long way to go for things like that. Interestingly something like maternity leave Korean women take I would say an average of a year per child, you can choose to take the maternity leave years later after the child. But at the same time, that also hurts women in a way because men are loath to hire women, because they know (laughs) that if they have children, they will leave. And as a boss, you know, I completely understand that if you suddenly you lose a valuable worker, um, it must be Harrowing to perform what you need to perform.
0: There's a bit in the book where the boss lays out the stakes of someone taking longer maternity leave that I f- I found really both powerful and depressing because it really summed up the just naked the naked reality that of competition that everyone faces. um And yeah, so I think something that has been spinning on my mind a lot, even throughout this conversation. So much of what we've been talking about, the kind of culture of plastic surgery and extreme competition um, and deep inequality in South Korea. Um, I grew up in Hong Kong for a while, so it really pervades there as well. Um, But something I struggle with is how I can articulate these things, especially to a Western audience without performing a dehumanizing mechanism that I think these stories can often lapse into. Of um I just remember seeing a meme a few years ago about there was like a Korean beauty contest, and it was basically like all these women look the same, and they've all got the same robot face so yeah, how do you talk about these things that exist without performing the kind of dehumanizing mechanisms that some people can fall into
1: So, for the longest time i I kept expecting a novel to come out. Um, in English, set in contemporary Korea. And, you know, it was a good 10 years for me uh, since the since I started writing this book to the runway up to publication. I kept expecting another book to come out. I was, I hope more books will come out after this. And they never did. And I think uh, if I want to accomplish anything with this, it, it would be... To, exactly that, to try to show what the lives of these young women who, for example, elect to undergo extreme plastic surgery, what they're thinking and what leads up to these choices. It's not something that should be dismissed or written off. It's a very uh, complicated choice. It has a lot of societal pressures built into that choice and I wanted to capture it, I wanted to explain a bit about that because I know, having written many eye-grabbing headlines myself when I worked in news um, how easy it is for the story to get lost in the clickbait and um, it, I, I wanted to add nuance to the story basically in uh, that would be a big goal of mine.
0: What was the hardest part about writing the novel?
1: I think I I am constantly aware of the Western audience and to ask them to follow four young Korean female narrators in Seoul was, I know, uh, a difficult thing to ask and I would try to change their personalities or not change but I would try to bring different personalities to life and different situations to life so that they are very differentiated Um, and it's hard to summarize because of that (laughs) that fact but um, I that was probably the hardest part for me
0: Mm -hmm. Um, and finally so we're Speaking now, but our listeners will be listening closer to publication date. Um, how are you feeling about the novel being published?
1: I still can't believe it, honestly. <laughs> I I started working on this um, 10 years ago, and it's been two full-time jobs later, one graduate school later, two children later, so, and three countries later. So... <laughs> Uh, A lot has happened in between, and I have a lot of hopes, and we'll see what happens.
0: Frances Cha, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, that's all from us. Thanks for joining us this week on The Prospect Interview. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Goodbye, stay safe, and see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your
1: style game without blowing your budget?